as First Peter says, we're just strangers. In this world we live in. Yeah. They were double strangers. They had been kicked out of Jerusalem because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, now they're a stranger everywhere they go, no matter how you look at it. They're a stranger in a foreign land, but they're strangers because they serve in a, a, a stranger uh, to this world. But yeah, that, that's what Peter opens up with. He called them strangers and pilgrims that had been dispersed when they persecuted the believers in Jerusalem. Yeah. That's in chapter 8 and chapter 11 of the book of Acts, how they got spread out. And Peter writes them an encouraging word about the salvation they have and the life of sanctification and the suffering they'll continue to go through as they serve the Lord. Uh, we're looking at, uh, this morning we're going to look at King Josiah uh, along with the kids in the back. And Josiah was one who come in a bad time in the nation. I mean a real bad time. And he made a radical change. See, but Josiah, when he took over, man, he, he, he had to disrupt everything. It had to be a radical change because things had not been done God's way for so long. For so long. Now, we were dealing, he's dealing with another dynamic. We live in a democracy where he lived in a kingship that if he made a decision to do something, everybody had to fall in it or they had to revolt against him. And he could do things that in a democratic process, uh, would be, would be a challenge. See, that, that's the compromise when you do have a democracy like we have. You can't, you, you, you can't do the things like a, a, a king would do or could do when he had absolute authority to do what he did. Because you're dealing with grassroots level. Uh, of a democracy. That's where it comes from. The people have to get to a place where they say, we want something different. You take the system that Jesus entered into when God entered into the scene, the Roman authorities had authority over the Jews and they governed everything and they allowed the Jews to function within their system as long as they didn't create trouble. Right. If they created trouble, they squelched the trouble. Yeah. They shut it down. They'd stop it. And, and that's what we see all the New Testament, all that Jesus walked in, all of the New Testament we read, we were reading about a group of people who were under the Roman authority. And that Roman authority didn't cause them any trouble as long as they uh, paid their tributes. They did what they were supposed to do as a society. And if there was no upheaval, within the Jews themselves, whether they were fighting against one another or they would rebel against the Roman Empire, they allowed them to function like they did in all the societies. And if they chose to operate and go against it, then the Romans would put the strong hand down. But as long as they did it, you know, civil in a way that wasn't a problem, they let them function. And But soon as there was uproars and troubles, and there was, there were zealots who would try to rise up and overthrow and they would squelch it down. And Judas was one of those that wanted Jesus to do that. Yeah. And he thought Jesus was going to be one of those, a, a leader that was going to get the people behind him. And they were going to overthrow the Roman Empire. And he realized down the road that, wait wait a minute, that's not what he came for. He came for, he came for something else. So he then started betraying him, you know. 
and to the people. So that created a lot of a lot of stink. And then when they did what they did with Jesus, some of the when Rome had to give its approval of it and turn it over to them, um, you know, Pontius Pilate. And the different ones, they didn't, they kind of wanted to wash their hands of it and said, let it be a Jewish thing. Uh, but we don't want to create trouble that Caesar's got to get involved in it. Because now that's going to make us look bad, you know, as far as we can't handle this situation. So uh, all those things we, we got to take in consideration in what we do. And that's where we go back to. Uh, as you said, we do pray. We do make a difference in individual people's lives. Uh, but we're, we're in a part of society where all in all, uh, there's a, I think it's, it's a minority that would want to see. It's obvious when you look across the board and you survey and you, you see how people think and how people live. They like living the way they live in, you know, doing what they've been doing. That's the sad part. Uh, and until that changes within that heart, I don't, I don't foresee how we, that's going to make a major difference in the society. It's just going to continue to go in the direction that it's going. The change got to happen uh, within people like us, you know, on the streets and the highways and the byways. And, and the sad thing is I don't think that's we're in that position for that right now but prayerfully we could see something like that happen you know and that that's going to be we got to be difference makers in everyday living in life and to be different we as the people of god we don't want to just so blend in with our society that we're more like them than than we are jesus and you see throughout throughout the country uh, we're seeing it's more people are more like the society than they are like Jesus. And what makes the church valuable, precious is Jesus himself and Jesus' ways. And there's a psalm, Psalm 45. Look in Psalm 45. I'll show you what I'm talking about here. This is something that Peter is talking about. Remember Peter said, look, he who called you is holy, therefore you be. Holy. And the word holy means to be unique, to be different, unlike any other. We, the people of God, are, are to be unlike any other people in the world. 44, you said. Uh, 45, Psalm 45. We talked about this a couple of weeks back, but this word in here, really, really, this is all about Jesus and about his bride. And that is us. We are the bride. And it says in verse number six, I mean, the whole psalm's about him. And he says in verse number six of Psalm 45, your throne, which is God's throne, which somebody's going to sit on that throne. Amen. That would be Jesus. Your throne, O God, is an everlasting throne. It is what? Forever and Ever And your scepter, what you rule by, is a scepter of righteousness. That is the scepter of your kingdom. Now notice what Jesus loves, what this king loves. You love what? Righteousness and you hate wickedness. The New Testament in Hebrews 1, 8 and 9 quote this verse right here. And they use the word lawlessness. As we're talking about, we live in a society that 
would prefer more lawlessness than they would the restraint of righteousness. And it says that this throne of God, he loves righteousness and God hates wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, the Father, has anointed you, Jesus, with the oil of gladness more than your companions. You see, there's favor on Jesus because of who Jesus is, number one, but because of what Jesus loves. Jesus loves what God loves. What does God love? Righteousness. What does God love? Truth. What does God love? Mercy. That is who God is. And then it says in verse number eight, all your garments, what you're clothed with, are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. So there's a clothing that Jesus wears, a garments that he wears, and those garments are scented with his fragrance, with his knowledge. And the New Testament teaches us that, that we as the body of Christ diffuse that aroma. We as the people of God share that aroma when we go places and do things. That is when we walk in in what? Righteousness, in truth, being different. Verse number nine, king's daughters are your honorable women and at your right hand stands the queen in gold and ophir. That's the picture of we are that bride. We are the queen. We are the one who are married to him. Verse number 10, listen, O daughter, consider, incline your ear. Now here's the key. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So... The king would greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. What? Worship him. Okay. That, see, that's the difference. What then does the society around this queen do? Notice verse number 12. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift and the rich among the people will seek who? Your favor. Okay. It's her uniqueness as she's connected to her king, that loves righteousness, loves truth, loves mercy, that has a scepter or a rod of righteousness that he operates by, it's in putting behind you the heritage that you've learned in the society that you live in. Now you coming under this new king, you learn his ways, and when you walk in his ways, that's what the society is going to be appealing or draw the society in, not blending in with the society. Are you following me? Right now, across the board, when you survey out and you go from place to place, we go all over in many places in sharing the, the message of Jesus in churches, and churches all over look more like the society then they smell like Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, what is this passage telling us? What is the beautiful thing or the appealing thing or the unique thing about the bride? She lines up with her king. And it's because of who she's connected to, who she smells like, who she looks like, who she thinks like, who she serves now, is what now the world around them sees them as different. It's the differences in us that make us 
profitable in the society we live in, not us looking like the society and thinking we're going to have a more an effect on them. No, if they're affecting us, we're going to have no effect on them. We have been set apart to have an effect on them. Are you with me? And you see, that's where we are right now. Uh, and that's why you hear us pray. You hear people pray for God to do a revival within his people so that his people are looking more like Jesus. Because that's what's going to have an effect on this society that we live in. Looking more like him. And that's exactly Peter's message. Yeah. That's what Peter was saying. Look over in Peter. First Peter, where we've been reading. You see how that unfolded there? You have a king, the king has a queen, and that queen is encouraged to forget the things that her former people taught her about life, that the king that she's now serving has a whole other way of doing life, has a whole other way of thinking about life, has a whole other way of doing business, and he loves what is right, and he hates what is wrong. And when you line up with him, that is what's going to have an effect on what you govern with him in a world. You can't, she can't act like the people and serve the king. You, you follow with me? She's got to be under the king's wing to effectively serve the people that she's been brought to, uh, to serve. But Peter talks about it. Look in. He gives us all these great things about our salvation, what we have, and how this has been the plan of God for such a long time. The prophets have been telling everybody about it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says in verse 13, Now knowing this, he says, Therefore, that's the idea, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind. Pull them up. Remember we were talking about Elijah last week? And Elijah girded up his clothes and he ran that marathon 31 miles and outrun the chariot under the spirit of the Lord the idea is girding up harnessing in bringing it all in get your mind focused in on these things be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former way of living Lust, as when you was in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be what? Holy in all your ways. Different, unique. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout your time on earth in what? in honor and reverence and fear. Verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct that you received by tradition from who? Your fathers. That's what, remember we just read in 45. Forget what you learned in the past. You got a whole new way of living now. By tradition of your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in the last times for you, who through him, through Jesus, believe in the Father who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your confidence and your hope are in God. Man, that's... That's a pretty clear word, isn't it? Amen. 
pretty clear word. You've been bought. You have a new king now. Forget how you functioned in the world before then. You got a whole new way of living now. And because he's unlike any other, you're to be like, as a people of God, we're to be unlike any other. And it's not individuals, it's us collectively together. We're the people of God, amen? We're the assembly, we're the bride. There are no long rangers out there doing their own thing. It's all of us together doing this work together, amen? Amen, amen and amen. That is the, you know, we know that Peter is talking to people that are saved. Okay? Yes, that's right, that's right. So it is the work, we to do work now. Mm-hmm. Separated and be holy in mm-hmm. the work mm-hmm. here. That is as you as stay here in this world. Yeah. Our, Wherever God planted you. Calling, God has a calling on our life. Yeah. And, and not just some of us, but all of us. Every single one. And, and then the reward to say, for, there's too many people think, well, okay, I got saved. So I, I can come to church or go home or I can do what I want to do without having to do anything for God. And I don't believe that's God's plan. Eternal life is manifested in eternal living. Yeah. And I stay here. You know, eternal living. When you think about eternal life, think of it from the perspective of eternal living. Yeah. I have eternal life that is knowing the Father and the Son that I would live eternally in this life that I live here yeah. that I'll be I'll be unique with him and that's what when he says that in the very first few verses Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers some translations use the word pilgrims a pilgrim is a stranger in a land they're passing through to the strangers the word verse 2 in my bible says elect according to the foreknowledge of God well elect in the original flow goes with the, with the strangers. It is saying to the elect strangers, to the strangers who have been chosen by God. That's the word elect means. He uses it. Look in chapter 5. Uh, look in 5 at the close of the book. He says when we were chosen or elected, it was we were elected together. Uh, in verse number... Uh, let's see. 13 says, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. So this includes all of us. If you're a pilgrim, it's because you have been picked out by God. You have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ. And your life has been penetrated by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we see in the first chapter. You see the picking of God, the purchasing of Jesus, and the penetrating work of the Holy Spirit. And the penetrating work of the Holy Spirit is what illuminates we've been purchased. And we've been picked by God. And the only reason we've been picked by God because we've been purchased by God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's His blood. That's the idea. And that's what Peter is talking to these pilgrims. Every one of these pilgrims have been picked, purchased, and penetrated. Now, Peter, is, is he back, he's back in Jerusalem. I believe personally, I do. Some people, some people teach that when he refers to Babylon there, the, 
of the Babylon, they, they believe that that's referring to Rome. I don't personally believe that. I believe he's speaking of Jerusalem. It's just a word that he used, just like the Bible does at other times. The Bible calls Jerusalem Sodom and Gomorrah, calls, refers to them like, uh, speaks of it like Tyre, which was another wicked city, and as well as Babylon, where all confusion comes out of. You know, we just read Revelation. It kept talking about the great mystery Babylon. Uh, many teachers tie that to the Pope and tie that to false religion to Rome. And I think it goes back to Jerusalem is the idea. Personally, that's just what I teach. I mean, I'm not going, it's not a hill to die on, you know, per se. But it, Revelation kept talking about the ones who killed all the prophets and the saints. Well, who killed more prophets and saints than anybody? Jerusalem, in the sense that when you take about the historical reference of the prophets, Jesus said that all the blood of the prophets are going to fall on you. They're the ones. I mean, the prophets wasn't sent to everybody and their brother around the world. Who were they sent to? They were sent to the people of God there in Jerusalem in Israel when the people of God went wayward. Well, they didn't want to hear them, so what did he do? They killed them, just like Jesus. Y'all come on in, just like with Jesus. Remember, God said, well, they've killed all my servants. I'm going to kill my son. They, I'm going to send my son. Well, what did they do to the son? They said, we kill him, we'll inherit it all. So I believe, yes. And that's, that's why he writes to them, good morning. Good to see y'all. He had traveled. He had traveled. He's traveled, yeah. But now Sylvanius and Mark are with him. And I, I personally believe, yes. I think that's the idea when he refers to in, in chapter number uh, 5, verse 13, she who is in Babylon, I, that's the, the people of God. I think he's referring to Jerusalem there and not Rome personally. And um, there, there's many good teachers that would tie that to Rome because they tie it to Rome. They try to tie it to Rome in Revelation. But I think, what's that? You probably did. Just through the years, a lot of people, and, and, and look, like I said, that's not a hill to die on whatsoever because the scriptures doesn't direct, that's why it refers to the great mystery, uh, Babylon, Babylon, the great city. But there's quite a bit in the book of Ezekiel and other places that point the picture of talking about Tyre and Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the, uh, middlemen for Tyre. Tyre was a group of Phoenicians that came out of the area of Tarshish where Jonah was running to out, out on the other side of Spain and they were um, uh, specialized in seaport merchants. They sold stuff from the west and got it to the east and the middle person in between that did all the marketing and the middleman in it was Jerusalem. And they took what came from the east, from the west that came in the tire with the Phoenicians, the merchants, and then they shipped it through Jerusalem and then Jerusalem spread it out to the far east. That's where it went that away. So they were the middle person. That's why Ezekiel talks about when Jerusalem fell, all the people in Tyre started rejoicing because of their profitability increased. They had all the goods, but the middleman had been taken out of the way. And you know how the middleman gets his? 
He gets his cut in the deal. Well, the middleman had been taken out of the way. They had no middleman now, and they went to celebrating that Jerusalem had fallen by the Babylonians. Now the door's open for them to mediate and make all their money. But God says, no, you're going to go down for 70 years too. The Babylonians are going to take you down. You thought you was going to be free from this, but you're going to be dealt with as well. So the Bible connects Tyre and Jerusalem together as these merchants, just like Revelation says, all the merchants of the world that did all their business with you when they seen you fall from afar, uh, there was this wonder that took place, that this great, and I, I personally think the code name Babylon is making reference to Jerusalem in Revelation and here in Peter based on principles that I read in, in Ezekiel and other places of a pattern that God has done in reference to Jerusalem on the different times that the wickedest places in the world throughout history, God has always tied it to Jerusalem at some point. He called them Egypt. He referred to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. He's referred to them in the relationship with them at Tyre and I think also with the Babylonians, with Babylon. Because of the influence of all these Places made their way into Jerusalem. Made their way in. It's worldless, no doubt, but it made its way there. So I think that's what Peter was doing, personally. That's kind of where I hold to that. Well, glory be. Amen. Amen and amen. Lord, help us. Oh, Carolyn. Don't we need help? You need help? I know, I know.